What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unequal Sequel. My name is Dave and I'm one of the two hosts of this absolutely amazing podcast. And I'm Rich and I am the other one of the two hosts of this absolutely amazing podcast. Think of me as Shrek to Dave's donkey. I'm really big and he talks a lot. Again, he's nailed it. The process of Unequal Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests their best ever sequel, worst ever sequel and finally their dream sequel. And of course, we often drift off and talk about other movie stuff and sequels in general or, you know, whatever comes into our heads, really. And also, I have to say this, we do slightly spoil movies, but they're mostly over 20, 25, 30 years old. So it's not our fault. They've been out for ages. (laughs) Exactly. On today's episode, we are joined by Nathaniel Metcalf. Nathaniel is a comedian. He is a writer and he's also... A podcast presenter. He does a really cool podcast with Nick Helm called Fan Club, where they get a special guest each week and they talk about things that they're fans of. Be anything, but sometimes it's movies, which is really cool for us. We're very excited to sit down with Nathaniel and chat all things sequels with him. These are Nathaniel Metcalf's Unequal Sequels. Enjoy. Do you have that memory of the first time you got excited about a sequel? or the first sequel you saw in the cinema? Do you know what? One that I, I saw sequels in the cinema before this, but I remember being incredibly excited at the prospect of Back to the Future 2. But essentially from off the back of Back to the Future, off the back of the To Be Continued, I remember I'd ask like, I'd ask my mum and dad, does that mean there is definitely one coming? And they had no interest and no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) It's like, it says To Be Continued. Does that mean it's definitely happening? Is that definitely, definitely happening? And I guess ones like that, I guess Flash Gordon's another one, isn't it? That has a the end question mark that you never get the the sequel to or... Mm. So I remember being excited about the prospect. What would have been the first a sequel it's a good question no i can't think well let's talk about back to the future 2 because i love the fact that how old we sorry how old were you when you saw that so i was born in 79 so back to the future came out when i was six and i think back to the future 2 is 1990 or 1991 mm. and i remember the other thing i do was films that had sequels i would try and work out when the discrepancy in years between them and try and work out if it's still possible like <laughs> it's been three years that's still coming right it's still coming <laughs> <laughs> and and work trying to work out from 
other films how likely it would be that there would be a second Back to the Future film. Do you like Back to the Future 2 more than Back to the Future, the original? No. Because um, <laughs> Dave does. <laughs> but, but, but I do like Back to the Future uh, 2, and I, and I like the third one. In some ways, the second one might be the weakest, but I like it a great deal. But it's funny now, when you watch Back to the it does feel now... Like, I was totally convinced that everything matched up for years and years, and it was all just this incredibly clever three-part story. But when you watch the first one now, it's very clear that the first one exists... And two and three are very much their own thing. And they exist in this sort of, mm. they're, they're sort of sequels to each other. But very much like it's cleverly done how they've, uh, all that stuff as well, where they kind of pretend there's all that stuff about him being called a chicken and things in the first film. It's like, it's not in it. It's not in it. It's only in the second and third one. But they try and sort of, they try and kind of gaslight as into thinking all this sort of plot yeah. was established in the first one, which it wasn't. But I think they're tr- terribly clever. And I think Back Future 2 is like, and the first one is to some extent, they're like little variants on It's a Wonderful Life. And Hill Valley is very similar to, um, what's it called? Bedford Falls, isn't it? And it's wonderful. Yeah. And all that kind of him finding out his dad's dead at the grave and things is all like just echoes little scenes from that. And It's a Wonderful Life is probably my favourite movie. And I like all those little touches where it's sort of referencing that movie and doing a sort of a version of it that's not quite that. I hadn't thought of that before, but that's that's absolutely spot on. Yeah, they just do it time travel. So they go into the bad future and they get to see what it would be like. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I like how it's a kind of, (laughs) it's like a sort of clever version of it and I, i'm sure like probably i don't think it's a, a knockoff i think it's entirely intentional kind of homage to i think yeah it, to the fact that a lot of the scenes are like the same and things you have to have these moments that are just taken straight out of it and you go it's just the same almost like story mechanics but with different characters and the same love, kind of scenes play out i love dave's face when he just realized what you were talking about then it's almost like his whole life just suddenly made sense yeah <laughs> i had never seen it like that before i haven't honestly i haven't watched it it's a wonderful life until like last year i know that's bad of me i'm sorry about that yeah you're right i think uh, i want to talk about the end of back to future one as well because if you ever even watch the extras they talk about that line where it's your kids marty and originally they didn't know what that meant they they really hated that they wrote that into the scripts so they're like now we have to try and get something about the kids in the sequel and i find that brilliant like what a mistake brilliant mistake i would say but it's a joke isn't it it's a joke in the first film that they then have to they have to sort of make reality yeah keep going with and i i always thought it's funny there they turn out to be assholes. I think it's like a great. Yeah, that's like oh yeah, like that'd be the worst thing your kids could be in the future. Yeah. Just like oh yeah, they're assholes. <laughs> so when you were six, did, did you all you want was a hoverboard as well and the shoes? Well, no, I no. In, when I was six, would be when Back to Future came out. So I was probably ten or eleven when Back to Future probably. two came out. But also, I didn't buy for a minute that they would exist in 2015. Oh, it felt okay. like I was very much like, nah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. And even in even that kind of future. The clothes in it and things were like I don't buy that it doesn't feel that far ahead but I remember like I really um I really loved it and I really love how you know it just repeats the sort of scenes again of the first film and, and for years I had no idea that Crispin Glover wasn't in it until you kind of watch it I'll go oh yeah it's not him He's not in it. No. And it's just, I really like when it just revisits. Because the thing was, the thing I liked about Back to Future 2 was that it was more than you're expecting. In that all the pre-publicity for it was, oh, they um, they go to the future in this one. You go, right. But the idea that then they basically revisit the first film again is the thing that I think is really clever about it. That's the sort yeah. of best idea. In it. The idea that you can revisit another film. It's like the greatest hits. 
That's why it's so good. Yeah, yeah. You get this excellent new film, but you also get the best parts of the original film. Yeah, and you get to see bits of it. It's like when DVDs came out and you'd get deleted scenes, which as a concept sort of blew my mind, I think, because you could never... The idea that there was more of a film from the past that you already loved yeah, and you're yeah. watching a new bit of an old film it's so it's a similar thing to that i think and there is that bit where he's following biff around and you see biff walking around the the 50s but it's just a scene you haven't seen i loved that yeah i loved it really loved it i don't dislike back to two at all that's good i'm, I'm worried <laughs> but it might be the weakest i don't know maybe not Maybe that's unfair. So you're a one, three, two man. I think so. But now I'm saying it, I do like, I think I do like them all. Maybe I'm being silly. It's weird in Back to Future 2. I know, again, it's just a gag, but I think it's weirder that Marty McFly's daughter is played by Michael J. Fox. I'm sure it's just a gag and she's only in for a minute, but I still think, but why would she look like him? (laughs) Why would she? (laughs) It was so in the trailer, they could go, Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox and Michael G. Fox. It's that sort of thing. It's that, but it's still, it's still the oddest bit. And I, I think it's the bit that pulls me out of it most. Where you go, it's not, it's not a particularly, it's not even a character. It's sort of him putting on a slightly higher voice. How can we prove there's a family resemblance? Yeah. Oh, we'll just get Michael to do it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is fine, but it's still an odd, it's an odd moment. Odd choice. What is your best sequel ever i was thinking about this when you said it and it's probably good that i haven't had a lot of time to think about it and i think it's gonna haunt me because as soon as you commit to one i'm gonna spend the rest of my life going ah it's not that actually it's this and it's it's it's, it's, it's an interesting question because i've never thought about it it never occurred to me to think about my favorites but the one i picked was desperado because i think it's pretty much one of if not the best film of the 1990s i think i think it's incredible and doesn't get nearly enough credit for how good it is and it's a sequel but it's it's the genre i like which is sequel slash remake and i like that i like any film that does that any film that sort of works as both things uh, that's one. The seventy-eight invasion of the body snatchers is one. Works as a sequel and as a as its own thing as a remake. Yeah. And there's been a few recently that I keep think that I keep seeing and going, oh, that's another one. That's sequel remake. Yeah, the, the Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, sequel remake. Yeah. That's more yeah. like a course correction though, isn't it? Where they've just gone, let's just do it like. <laughs> Like everyone I'm, thought it was going to be in the first place. The first one was so bad, they couldn't go down from there, could they? It was only up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get any lower. Dave was really, really excited when he told me what your choice was because Desperado is one of his favourite films ever. Yeah, absolutely brilliant film. Where did you first see it, Dave? I saw it in what I'm going to call my cinematic awakening. So I reckon probably probably the greatest year of film, me, 99. I saw it between between 99 and 2002, 2003 was when I really got into cinema. So Desperado, I can't remember who let me borrow it or where I watched it. I probably watched it on ITV or something with adverts in and it still blew me away. I hadn't really, the action, I hadn't really seen anything like that. I was so used to like Schwarzenegger or Stallone kind of action. And then there's this, and I hadn't watched Hard Boiled or anything at that point. So this kind of flamboyant shooting he does he's like whipping the guns and mm, it's awesome. almost, almost like an extension of him like kind of like john wick is nowadays i just oh, I blew it away and simon simon hayek when i was a young boy was just unbelievable it was just great <laughs> they, well not only is he whipping the guns the thing that's great about that is he whips a gun so a bullet can go around a corner oh, before wanted it so sort good. of makes sense and doesn't make any sense at all <laughs> 
it works like a cartoon in that way where nothing that's happening actually makes sense but there's a weird sort of wily coyote roadrunner logic to it all it makes you go sure if you did that to a gun if you swung a gun it would turn the bullet would go around a corner why wouldn't it of course it would and it's brilliant, brilliant, all that stuff. Yeah, the whole action is outrageous. It's like it's like no gunshot would ever fire you that back normally. But mm. in Desperado, every gunshot is like like being kicked by a donkey. I imagine it's yeah. just since everyone flying, it's it's over the top. It's it's comical, but it's so good. And it, I really it, love the rocket launcher in the in the guitar case. I think yeah. that's my favorite thing. Never reloads it. Shoots about fifteen missiles out of that. Never reloads <laughs> it once. <laughs> And also the fact that that's the original mariachi, the original yeah, guy yeah. that plays the mariachi is the guy who thinks we're gonna we're gonna do a sequel. Uh, we want to get you back in it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, brilliant! I'll be the be the mariachi again." And they're like, "No, no, no! <laughs> Sorry, just guy that doesn't say anything, but you've got a you know guitar case or rocket launcher in it." So, so he's know. the next best thing, considering he gets all his <laughs> mates back, and they are just like pals of his who yeah. are just—they're not actors. They're just pals and they get to be in it again. Yeah. And, and it sort of works. It's got like, he, he casts enough kind of names that once you've got three or four, you go, well, actually, you don't need anyone else. I can still just have all my mates back in it. And that thing where he's playing not the mariachi, but he's kind of like, he's still our mariachi. He's still part yeah. of the gang. And that's really nice. It's like, a, it's kind of a really sweet to include them all. And it has that air about it it's got that thing where it does still feel like they're mates and it feels like quite a pally it's like the most impressive sort of student film ever or something it's just incredibly like every bit of it works and it's sort of clever and clever's probably a weird uh, word to sort of apply to it but it hmm. is clever because it's just every kind of shot there's like an idea and it's just like I've had another idea. It's this. I've had another, and it's just the bit where he kind of he's shot in the arm, and you get that shot of him with a little kid walking along a wall, and as he's walking along the wall, it's painting a red blood stain. Yeah, mm. it's just That's all like lovely. really, it's That's in, a lovely shot. everything's interesting. There's always something to look at, and it's sort of funny, and you can take it as like you can take it as red, and it's just actiony, or you can kind of you appreciate it on one level as it's really kind of balletic, totally. It's pure action. And yet it's also funny. That What's happening is funny and it's silly. And the tone of it is always consistent. You never go, what is this? It's always <laughs> like, it's everything. I, I love it. it. From the first time I saw it, I saw it at the London Film Festival. And my brother had seen it in the States and said, oh, you've got to see this movie, Desperado. And I saw it at the London Film Festival and it was at the Odeon West End and it was packed because it was at London Film Festival. And I think the experience I had, I suspect, was probably not really repeated at its main cinema release because I don't think it did particularly well here. I didn't know a lot of people that saw it. But I was telling everyone there to see it. So it was one of the few times where I saw it in a packed screen. I was really looking forward to it because my brother had said, oh, it's really great. Within like 10 seconds... I was on board. There's no... As soon as Steve Buscemi comes in, yeah, he's yeah. just got this bit which is so funny. And it's before, like, it's got so many jokes about the kind of, these guys are assholes, not like these class acts. <laughs> so it's funny that this little tiny man is the smallest man in this room full of uh, huge Mexican guys who all got knives and all look like villains. And he's basically goading them. And, he's sort of, and it's funny about how much... And it's such a great... That little bit feels like... 
it's Steve Buscemi almost at the height of Steve Buscemi-ness of being this. <laughs> and it feels like he's he's doing a kind of performance that feels like it's the kind of thing that Steve Martin would do. It's yeah. that sort of level. And it's that kind of funny. It's mm. like funny. Every line's funny. And it feels like someone like Steve Martin probably couldn't have done it any better. But it feels like it's almost, it's almost like that's the kind of performance it is. It's like a Steve Martin 80s performance with that many jokes in it. And that's before any actions happened. And it just, there's all that stuff about, you know, you don't see his face. And just when you think it's going to happen, you just come out of the shadow, it doesn't. And then you just see it happening and you have, yeah. and it's just, and as soon as the action starts, I mean, you do get this completely overblown over the top it kind of works because it feels like you're watching a dream or it's told like a fable so it doesn't feel like so it kind of gets you into the world of it without you ever kind of questioning the reality of it yeah and then it continues like that because you're already bought into the idea of it it, it's so kind of it is clever what they've done <laughs> everything of it's really and, and and at that point by the time it kind of cuts to the sort of opening credits it's already like a, like a five star movie. It's like it's already like it's amazing. It hasn't started yet. It hasn't started yet, and it's already brilliant. And it's yeah. like that. It's just and when you think of it, it's that it's a nice way of thinking about films, which isn't very screenwritery. I really like films that feel like they're very cleverly, tightly written things. And you see films from like the four, It's a Wonderful Life's one, or like a Billy Wilder film, where you go, God, everything in this makes sense. And yet when you watch things like Desperado, it actually feels like more or less improvised. And what they what it actually is, it just it's not it's not doing any of these screenwritery rules at all. And people I know lots of people that write and they're very serious about writing, mainly sort of sitcoms and things. But when mm. I talk to them, it's all rules. And it's like I always think it's there isn't a rule to it. You can just do scenes, which is what and this is. It's just scenes and set pieces for and 90 the, minutes and then you're out. That's where the best stuff comes from, though, right? Breaking the rules. And yeah. not following the rules. That's where you get absolute gems from. Yeah. Going, oh, I didn't follow any. I don't know what the rules are. I didn't Exactly. Them, it's more you know? that they don't know what the rules are. I think you get bad films often by people saying, I'm breaking the rules. And it's like, <laughs> no, they're there for a reason. It almost comes from someone going, it'd be good if this happened, right? And then yeah. this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. And then at the end of it, you've had 90 minutes, and you go, that's what they kind of should be. Just tons of ideas that are kind of squidged together that kind of, like, the film almost feels mythological to me, in that it feels like, surely this has been done before, but I'd never seen any of it before. Every idea feels like, I've never seen this in a film, followed yeah. by another bit where you go, I've never seen this happen in a film, never seen this happen. And it follows an almost kid logic of things that you'd be like, yeah, yeah, you could do that. You couldn't do that. Yeah. And, and it sort of invites you to kind of laugh at the idea of it. it sort of takes it seriously. It's like, no, no, in this world, all this stuff can happen. It feels like someone playing with toys or something. It's like, you could do that. Like the idea, like like the sort of whipping the gun and a bullet going around the corner. It's a sort of kid logic. Yeah. It's, it's that sort of stuff about it that's like, oh, yeah, if I fired a gun, it's going to blast you through a window. Or yeah. you're going to go, you're going to travel for eight feet in the air. You're going to, it's... <laughs> And everything is like, and then it does it and there's gag after gag. And then you've got the gag with two guys, him and the other guy trying to shoot each other. And they're trying to find a gun that's got a bullet in it. Yeah. So they've realized at that point. And, it, and you feel like that probably is improvised. Like it'd be funny to be going, wait, surely we've been throwing these guns away. What's the likelihood that there's going to be guns with bullets in? 
And of course there isn't. It's this sort of, it's a great kind of, like almost like Russian roulette scene with people picking up different guns. Has this one got a balloon? No. Yeah. This one? No, no, no. And it, it sort of, and then that becomes funny. All of it's sort of gags and sort of sight gags and things, but they work in the context of it. That the mariachi gets hurt a lot. Mm. He's not He's not a superhero. He's not Arnold Schwarzenegger who just like wraps a bandage around his arm and carries on. He literally gets broken like four times in this movie. It's great. <laughs> it does, but he also is able to jump backwards from <laughs> one roof. You don't really see him land. So in some ways, he'd be like, yeah, you'd be dead though. He both gets hurt and can survive incredible uh, injury. <laughs> It's a bit of both. <laughs> they walk away from an explosion. This is probably one of those, the coolest moments when you walk away from an explosion and they don't turn around and don't get like fl- uh, blown away. I think that's a, an amazing image. I just wanted to say that your point about everything felt fresh and, you know, you hadn't seen it before and they, if they had a bigger budget, they probably would have ruined it kind of thing. I think that's maybe because it was such a low budget that they had to think up like on their feet, like, what should we do now? We haven't got all these fake bullets and guns and explosions and apparently they only had like 10 extras so they just kept putting different wigs on them yeah. <laughs> to get shot and stuff like that so i think yeah. there's two stuntmen that are the same guys flying through windows all the time apparently you're not saying it, it didn't make it have a massive release over here but apparently it's the biggest it's the biggest profit difference from a, an original to a sequel so the sequel made so much more profit than the original one did. It's like 250% more profit than the original right. made. But did the original only make like one pound? Yeah, well, it only <laughs> cost like 45p to make. Exactly. <laughs> you just bribed everyone with like a Twix. Like, you just shared it, you know, we'll just make it with my friends, you know. I think it's like 7 million the, the original cost to make. And then the second one cost like 10 million and made like 65. Well, the first one made was made for 7,000. Seven thousand dollars. Yeah, and I think this was made for seven million dollars. Yeah, and I think like the that. idea was he just wanted to do something that, if this worked, that his idea was I'll be able to work for the rest of my life because I'll be able to say, well, I did that for seven, yeah. seven yeah. million. Seven, so it's yeah. to do something and make it feel like it's more expensive, and that seems mad now when you think of it, like seven million. Because yeah. it doesn't at all feel like you're watching a kind of... And it would work that way if it felt like you were watching something where you go, oh, that's great, considering it was seven million. And you can kind of see the joints. But it works as like, you can put it up against any other action movie. Mm. And and oh, yeah, most definitely. other action movies would come out wanting, I think. just by <laughs> And it's it costs nothing. I remember when, when we were watching it at that first London Film Festival screening, the audience were... It was insane because everyone couldn't believe what they were watching and i've never had this before the guy in front of me turned around almost to just go wow <laughs> it was just Love every that. bit of it was just like it was like it was just like people couldn't really contain themselves i've never i i kind of when i watched it i watched it again day before yesterday for this and i was thinking i miss how excited i was watching that and i was going yeah. i can't remember the last time I was that excited watching a movie. And maybe it's exceptional, and maybe it was the age I was, but it does feel like, oh, I'd like a bit of that now. Yeah. I'd like to see it, like, occasionally you would like... I can't even think... I was trying to think, what was the last film that I was really excited about when I came out? And there's lots of things I like, but just stuff where I came out of it, it was just completely kind of... My mind was blown. I just loved every minute of it. And it still feels like that. It's like it's like one of those movies, similarly to something like Back to the Future, where you couldn't turn it on halfway through and go, oh, I'll just watch this bit. Because it's always going to be, 
Oh, I love this bit. Yeah. Oh, now yeah. I love this bit. I love this bit. I love this bit. It's the end of the film. It's it's um you you'll get to the whole film because it's always something. There's no fat on it or anything. It's just great bit after great bit after great bit. It's just it's it's relentless. I can't believe they showed this at the London Film Festival. That wouldn't be now, would it? No, but at the time, I think it was you know following El Mariachi was kind of a. Oh, it's an action so. movie, but I guess it also played as like an art house movie, really, because yeah. it's this low budget mexican movie so it wasn't yeah. like uh it didn't feel like you're watching you know it had it, it sort of crossed both worlds really and it's probably desperado that was like the crossover for him where he's like he's like oh no well el mariachi only looks like that because i had seven thousand dollars whereas if i have seven million dollars it's supposed to be like this it's yeah. supposed to be an action mm. a big action movie and and that's the order i saw them in i saw desperado first and when you watch it, you do appreciate it. You do appreciate what El Mariachi is. Yeah. It does weirdly. It does have lots of similar. You know, there is that sort of fast cutting, which I think was coming in that because he didn't have in sync sound, so he had to keep cutting away from people talking, so there'd always be action going on. So, uh, but right. it was, um, but like it does, you do kind of appreciate of like what a what a great piece of work it is, considering it's done so cheaply and yeah, what an yeah. achievement it is to have made it at all. And getting a good performance from Quentin Tarantino as well. <laughs> I watched the trilogy backwards. I think I watched Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And then oh. everyone went, oh, there's there's more. And I was like, oh, okay. And they go back and go, oh, this is better. This is, this, this, you know, <laughs> Desperado is better. Definitely. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the third one? No? I quite like it. Do you know what? It's sort of, when I first saw it, I liked it a lot more then than when i saw it again one of the things i like about it and i like about a lot of his films is that you know you you can tell the actors have shown up and they're doing like a day or two days and you can tell often when someone's talking the the reverse shot is not who they're talking to there's yeah, a lot yeah. of that about it and i quite like that that they do almost feel like these weird jigsaw puzzles and in that one you've got that bit where willem dafoe halfway through has plastic surgery, so is then in, is in bandages for the rest of the film, and you go, "There's no way that's Willem Dafoe for, for no the rest of the film." But I also like that. I like that's how he makes films, and I like that he's the he's the least stressful filmmaker I can imagine. He just seems to take everything in his stride. It's like he does it very naturally. So all these things that I think would cause like other directors ulcers, he just has this sort of, "Ah, oh, we'll just do that," or "Well, just kill him off." doesn't matter and it's like he changes his movies while they're filming them like yeah. drastically and like this when, when you hear about the making of desperado even though it's seven million it's only seven million i still would imagine that studios like what are you doing have you got like what are you making and it's like yeah we sort of got a script but we might not do that we'll just see what happens on the day it really does feel like you cannot and yet he's just got this sort of I think he's got this sort of self-confidence that's just that, oh, no, it'll be fine. It's well, going to be he, great. He is director, producer, editor, composer. I think he plays the guitar in most of this as well. He does. He's his only little studio, isn't it? Yeah. Robert Rodriguez. Um, do you like his other previous, like, not previous work, recent work? Do you think he's tilted off a little bit recently? Kind of. I mean, there's stuff that's not, yeah, there's stuff that's not, not really aimed at me. Like, mm. I remember seeing the first Spy Kids movie and going, it is good, but it's not aimed at me. Yeah. But it's well done. And there's a lot of stuff like that. And I kind of appreciate it more that it's got such a it's got such a kind of voice to it. It's always obvious when he's done it. And yeah. I still like that. 
I wasn't really into what was the movie Elite a Battle Angel I didn't really like. I mean, it still feels like a Robert Rodriguez movie. And there's still enough about it that's kind of ah oh, entertains me. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't hate it. I've seen worse movies than yeah. than Battle Angel, I think. Her, her massive eyes just freak me out far too much. It's <laughs> odd. Although yeah. I read a thing, I think recently he's been, he's done a deal with HBO Max or something. And he, I, I'd never really thought of him in these terms until recently when, before that, I was going, oh, wow, it's got such a, that kind of Mexican identity, something you don't see anywhere else. And this is almost something that's been kind of championed with him now, where he's gone, oh, you've always done this. And this kind of, so in America now, it feels like, oh, you're one of the few filmmakers that represents that kind of Latina culture. So it's like, and he ad- and I was thinking that with, what was it? Something, maybe that was Elite Battle Angel. That You have these kind of, even in these movies, you've always got this kind of, I think it had like Mexican flags. You've got, you've always got like Mexican characters. And the Spy Kids movie has that thing where it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's like a Mexican family, but it's this sort of very middle class sort of Mexican you don't really see that and it's weird that someone is on the quiet while making all these action movies is also doing this sort of almost like socially aware thing where he's kind of promoting this kind of the countries from and things and he's yeah. just completely and 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 off the back of it you think oh, what, what an influence he's had and anyone who's had kind of you know the amount of kind of latina actors that have kind of gone through it and then gone on to other things you think that what he's actually been doing is almost like a public service but he's been doing it on the quiet while making big action movies yeah. but you sort of go oh right yeah he's got he's got this almost like very kind of socially aware almost like patriotism that's been going on in the background where he's just been promoting I guess, like people from his own country and people from Latina backgrounds. Okay. And it now feels like now HBO Max are kind of talking about, well, he's that guy, isn't he? He's like the kind of Latina mm. director. And you go, oh, yeah, of course. Like, yeah, of course he is. And I, I just, I was thinking that when I was watching something recently where you go, oh, yeah, of course that's what he, he's doing the whole way. Is that the Zorro TV series he's making? They, they, he's doing a, I saw he was doing a Zorro TV series. Well, he was going to do the Antonio Banderas Zorro originally. Mm. And that was one that I was always really looking forward to. And I never quite worked out what happened or why he didn't end up doing it. He seemed to get, I don't know if he was removed or whether he left the project, but that was all, the development was all him. But yeah. then it was Martin Campbell, I think. In the yeah, end. it was Martin yeah. Campbell. Was, and then he's got more machete kills, sequels <laughs> and stuff coming. Like, <laughs> well, that it. is the problem. I think he gets to the point where he's realised he could do it so much that i think there's an element where he kind of does it too much where yeah. it's almost like it feels almost like the effort going into it feels less like oh we could do this and it's fun i think when he did planet terror that was fun yeah but it's almost the idea that not every film should be like this though you don't <laughs> no. have to do like you could it's fun yeah. to do it once but don't keep doing it it's like spy kids four i'm not sure we needed it you know, like, you've done it now it's fine but then i also think of him like he does have this kind of production company and i'm sure a lot of it for him is pushing forward with projects that are making money or someone's asking for so he's like yeah we'll totally do that because he must employ so many people as well he must like there must be a sort of responsibility element to him yeah so running a company that employs people and it's like yeah of course we'll do that if someone asks for another spy kids he's like yeah We'll be making one of them then. I think there's a market for them. There's definitely a market for them. They, they do hold... I know some people that love the Spy Kid movies and the Lava Girl and Shark Boy or whatever it is. And What's the recent one? We Are Heroes, what they're called with Pedro Pascal. But 
Yeah, like you said, they're not my cup of tea and not aimed at me. Yeah, so. but I kind of, yeah, I think that's it. It's fine as well, isn't it? It's like, it's like, yeah, they're for kids. Yeah, it's <laughs> <Spy> kids. <laughs> yeah. So is it in the title? Yeah. And I imagine kids probably love them. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, my son does. He likes the Spy Kids movies. Yeah, he's, he's, well, there you he's go, then. signed up for that. I saw one <laughs> and I remember going, really enjoyed it, but it seems pointless <laughs> me. And... <laughs> It's no, pointless me watching these, really. I think Spy Kids, Spy Kids Four has got the lowest lowest rating I've ever seen on IMDb. I think it's like two point nine or something. It's, it's really yeah, low. but even that feels like I, I you know, who's that voting that? Heartless. Little kids, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eBay Motors is here for the ride with over one hundred twenty-two million parts for your number one ride or die. You can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. What is the the most disappointing sequel you've seen? So not like the worst sequel, but one you really were looking forward to and you came out and you were just like, oh. I don't know. It probably is the one I've picked as my worst one. I think I took that almost to be disappointing. Really? So bad and disappointing. Bad and disappointing. God, what has disappointed me? I think I'm quite easily pleased as well. <laughs> I really do. I think I'm kind of, well, not pleased, but I think I'm kind of, it takes a lot for me to go, I hate that. Recently, not that I was overly disappointed, recently, Glass, I thought it was awful. Just thought it was terrible. But equally, I hadn't really kept up with M. Night Shyamalan. But I did like Unbreakable a lot when yeah. it came out. And I hadn't really kept up with a lot of his stuff. Because I sort of got that impression, like, I think I'm good at knowing my own mind. But there's often a point where I go, I'm not going to enjoy this. And so I avoid it. I don't feel I have to see everything. I kind of have a, a vibe. Like, I get the vibe. I'm not going to like that at all. I, I usually know exactly how much I'm going to like a film. It's nice to be surprised. Yeah. But I kind of have an idea of like, you I know. think I think Glass is the absolute perfect one to choose for this. Because it's really good. Sorry, I'm still on. Unbreakable is it's brilliant. brilliant. And Split is brilliant. And then you, how how much more could you shit the bed? Than the glass. I mean, honestly. Like, <laughs> well, I was kind of up for glass entirely on the off the Me back too, of yeah. Unbreakable. Yeah, yeah, everyone. But, but I would say that I think days before that came out, I watched Split for the first time, and I went, "Okay, well, I should watch this." And I didn't like Split either. I was like, okay. "Don't like this. Don't like this." 
Uh, but you go, well, that's fine because it's not really about this guy. It's about, yeah. and when you watch it, you go, this is just like every, it's like every decision made is like, why? What? <laughs> why is it? So that was something I was disappointed in just because I sort of was, I was shocked at how bad it was. Like, really? Is this, is this what we're doing? Really? And, it, <laughs> yeah. and similarly, it's a, it's a good, um, it's interesting to talk about in the context of Robert Rodriguez's movies because it has that same thing where you watch it and go, oh, right, I see. It hasn't got these actors in. You've hired Samuel L. Jackson for X number of days. You've hired Bruce Willis for X number of days. <laughs> and that's what it feels like. They're all kind of, none of them really interact. They're all yeah. just like on their own little bit. Bruce Willis seems like he's in the whole film for maybe 10 minutes or something. And after the whole build-up of it, the idea that, Sure, we know he can't survive in water, but the idea that the story of Unbreakable is that that character's story arc is he drowns in a puddle is is the most <laughs> mental thing I've ever. And it's like you go and you go absolutely ridiculous. I don't know if you think that's somehow poetic or something, but that is the most ridiculous thing. If you, if you go right, because I, I would say in the puddle. I would say, split, I don't like it, I don't care for it. But you could then, in theoretically, have gone, right, well, then the sequel to Unbreakable is still glass. Mm. You don't need split. But if you watch watch Unbreakable, it went, oh, I like that. You know, there's another one. Watch that. See what you think of it. If you've bought into any part of Unbreakable and you go, yeah, the next movie is this movie, (laughs) it's insane that you would accept that as a sequel. So I'm, it's insane. It's insane. <laughs> they spend the whole movie, which again, I think is meant to be like a kind of rug pull. They, they, they sort of set up the ending. And it's all the, they keep talking about how they need to go to, is it somewhere like the Empire State Building or something? You go, right, okay. And it just, it's like, they never get there. And they go, no, we're just going to be in a car park. In a, <laughs> in a, and it's like, what? So I don't know if it's a rug pull like it's meant to be like, ah, oh, you thought it was going to all be a big ending. At the, I don't know, presumably it's on purpose because otherwise it's even madder. It's like, but, you, but by, by kind of showboating about this big ending and then not giving it to you, I guess the point is that you're meant to be like, oh, we thought this was going to happen, but it didn't. Yeah. But instead it's just disappointing. It's just... It's just going, well, can we not get the film you've been talking about for, you know, I've had to watch this. I've just had, I've had to watch the whole film. Can you at least give us the, the ending that's been promised during the whole film? And instead you get like, you know, Bruce Willis drowning in a puddle and and James McAvoy jumping on a car or something. It's just like, (laughs) they don't even really meet or none of them really interact or it's just, it's, it's bonkers. It's so absolutely weird. bonkers that's a perfect answer mate i love how you started that conversation with like well i don't think i found anything disappointing about that. <laughs> and then you laid into it brilliant it's awful I... awful just it's just it, it just makes me think are you mad it's it's mad yeah. it's mad <laughs> i can't wait for the next choice what was your worst sequel ever well i would almost put this in disappointing more than worst Oh. But it was because my it, the, the answer is Superman Four: The Quest for Peace, and I saw this when it came out, and I would have been eight when I saw this. Were you excited for it? Yeah, you bet your life. Like, of course I was. Superman. 
it's a it's another superman movie and now even as a child and as an adult I, it annoys me when people have a go at superman 3 always loved it always thought it was brilliant yep, and when too. i watch it now i still think it's great and as and i think it the thing it set out to do i think it does really well yeah. it takes superman movie and does a a comedy that works in it and the first like superman the movie especially probably less so the second one is really funny all yeah. the way through so it kind of works and the comedy in superman 3 works really well and it also has just great bits as the, that's the one as the you know the combine harvester thing coming towards the kid and that to me feels like one of the sort of most kind of iconic moments in all of them but the fourth one and people talk about that's what annoys me most about it. people talk about the third one like the third one's a bad movie the fourth four. one is it's so awful and i was looking forward to it and i would say that that film changed the way i thought about films because it was the first time and i can pinpoint it that i realized that some films were shit <laughs> i'd never occurred to me it never occurred to me i was eight yeah. <laughs> all films were brilliant. We've all had it. We've all we've yeah. all, all films. It. There's not the idea that they that there are bad ones. Yeah. And the idea that a bad one would be a kind of wolf in sheep's clothing. The the one you're going to see it's bad is a new Superman film. Is like you know I think they think kids will be like if anything they went ah, I'd be right for kids though wouldn't it. Yeah, and it's like absolutely not. <laughs> I could see through it. Like, there's a sort of panic when you start watching it. Like, what's going on? What? It's almost like it's a weird experience. It's it's one of the oddest things because I remember being so. You almost want to. Like, it's like a panic. It's like you're having a panic attack watching it because you can't believe what's going on. It's yeah. like it's this is this is awful. The, the the bit that really blew my mind in it. There's a bit in it where you never ever see Clark Kent become superman on screen yeah and it's it's mad and i, I call it, there's a bit where he leaves camera shot then re-enters as superman yeah and you think could you not afford a shirt was that like <laughs> is the budget so low at this point that the idea of him tearing a shirt would be like oh come on how many shirt we can't afford a shirt i mean the budget the budget did get wrecked so they start. They started out with like a forty-five million budget, and it got slashed to like sixteen million. Yeah, uh, which is the heads why I was like so bad. Like, but and heads why they shot in Milton Keynes instead of New York. <laughs> so, oh, this is the UN building in Metropolis, but in real life, it's Milton Keynes bus station. Yeah, but it also doesn't match. Like by doing it as well, I just think kids watch those films more than anyone, and the buildings don't even match the build. The Daily Planet isn't the Daily Planet anymore. It's like where are we? What's going? And none of it makes any sense. It's so. It was so bad. And like, there's things about it that I go. It's almost. I love Christopher Reeve, and I think he's still. It's like it's bad despite the fact that a lot of these guys are really still doing their best with it. <laughs> And it's such a shame. You go, what is, I mean, they're still doing it. I mean, Christopher Reeve is almost like, he's still kind of the perfect Superman. It's just such a, and I don't know if it's because you can't help but compare him. Everyone mm. else feels lacking. But he's got that sort of innate kind of goodness about him, hasn't he? He's got a real, like, you really yeah. buy into the idea that he's he's a good guy. But And, and it's got Gene Hackman in it as Lex Luthor, yeah. which, is, which you can kind of watch. And there's things about it you go, that's still good, really. Except it isn't any, none of it's good. No. It's all appalling. 
that was that was my big thing for it because it's just it's the movie i always think about like oh right that was like it's it was like a moment in my life when you go that's when i realized that some <laughs> films are bad and i think a lot of people i don't know maybe you do have it most people go well i had no idea when that happened whereas to me it's like i can pinpoint exactly yeah. where i was when i realized that not all films are good wow and it's superman 4 <laughs> it's like it's a specific <laughs> film where you go wow and i was eight it isn't like the, the, the audience that they thought would get away with it it's like absolutely not it was for an eight-year-old yeah. it was appalling i was really like shocked i sort of I kind of couldn't get my head around it. Do you remember the scene that really? No, made I think it was. I think it right was right from the beginning. Well, I think there was a lot of that. I think a lot. The big problem I had was a lot of him going off screen and coming back as Superman, because yeah. it's sort of weirdly. I think at that age, that's kind of what you want to see. Hmm. You could probably have made a really cheap Superman film that's even cheaper than Superman Four, and I'd have liked it more if you just saw him. Like, <laughs> I just want to see him. Rip his, shirt his, off. rip his shirt off or change in some weird way or do a little tornado and become superman or do something the idea yeah. that he leaves the screen there's a sort of static shot and walks back on it felt like this didn't feel like a movie it felt like you're watching something like it was like rent a ghost or something it was just a weird like <laughs> it was like why is this a film i don't know like surely you could have done this better it somehow makes really good actors look both hammy and cheesy, yeah. which is a great thing for a sandwich, but not great for Superman. Yeah. You know, I think, like, I don't know how it does it. It makes Christopher Reeve look bad. It makes Gene Hackman look bad. And it's it's not them. It's got to be something in the script. It's Nuclear Man. He makes something. everyone look bad. But that's it as well. You kind of think, oh, what a... Well, it's like straight away he's got no personality or anything. There's nothing about him that feels like he's a good villain. And who is he? He's just this sort of made-up... Oh, I know a story about that. <laughs> so he was supposed to be Dolph Lundgren, was supposed to be Nuclear Man, but he was making Masters of the Universe for the same for the same production company that makes this. Canon, he was making yeah. Masters of the Universe. Yeah, Canon. And so they got someone from like the middle of nowhere, someone who knew someone who Yorkshire. looks a bit like... Was it Yorkshire, was it? Yeah, he's, someone, he's from Yorkshire. Someone who looks a bit like Dolph Lundgren from the back thinking that they were then going to cut Dolph Lundgren into it later when he finished making He-Man. And He-Man overrun so much that they couldn't do it. Hence why they had to make his voice. They had to get Gene Hackman to do his voice because oh, he had a like a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> they were like, no, I mean, that, that does kind of make sense. It does. Yeah, looking at him. And that would have sort of made some kind of sense with the sort of scale of someone like Dolph Lundgren and being, it would feel like, oh yeah, I guess this guy could fight Superman. So it may, yeah. I can kind of understand that. I don't know. It just, <laughs> it's just, just what? awful. And just that, the, that I like the others so much, and it's just a real stain. Mm. But, and it's such a waste now that you think, oh man, that was like, you know, that was your, that was your one chance to get Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman back, and he did that, and it what killed off Superman. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, oh, that's the end. Yeah, so oh. Superman gone for twenty years after this, wasn't it? It's was yeah. like, and but there are just so many bits in it that. that are, Weird, like where where Nuclear Man kidnaps the kidnaps the the girl, flies her off into space, and she doesn't freeze to death. Oh yes, what is that about? <laughs> oh yeah, and she can still breathe. And then Superman brings her back, and she doesn't burn up on re-entry. Like what? <laughs> I think that is again. I think it's that kind of thing that you imagine. It's like oh, that'd be all right for kids. 
that the kids won't, <laughs> kids will accept that. And you go, no, basically people blowing up in space is, is what I spent 80% of my time thinking about when I was eight. Yeah. Like that's basically all I was thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why do you wear them? All right. You got, you, you blow up. Right. Got it. And I'd think about that. I'd think about that all the time. So these but, things are exactly the kind of things you obsess over when you're eight. They're yeah. not the kind of things you'd go, oh, it's probably fine. And that, how do you get rid of a nuclear-powered villain? Oh, I can drop him in a nuclear power station. That'll work. <laughs> what? That was Didcot Power Station in Oxfordshire, and it's coal-fired for a start. But how how does that not make him stronger? Yeah. <laughs> You're literally like, just giving him more. Like, and also, his nuclear man's main main like ability appears to be he can grow his fingernails an extra inch. Like, what... <laughs> What is this nonsense? It's also <laughs> powered by the sun, so just attack him at night. Yeah, right? yeah. Just, just wait till it's dark. <laughs> and a bit, there's a bit when the Superman's flying past New York, and they just couldn't even afford moving boats on the water. The all the boats <laughs> seem still to have New York. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. It's the there's lowest just... ranking movie we've had on this podcast <laughs> on IMDb and Rotten Tomato. It's shocking because even when you say that, you go, "Ah, oh, then they they slashed the budget in half, and it was only twenty million. And then we we've just been talking about a film that was made like eight years later that cost a third of that, which yeah. looks like it costs like four times that. You Absolutely. know, it feels like. You know, they've not really... I mean, it's tough to do a Superman movie on a budget, by all means, but still, there must have been... It feels like there must have been better ways of doing it. Yeah, I've got another question you might be able to help me with. When he's rebuilding the uh, Great Wall of China and it's just putting <laughs> itself back together again, what is his superpower there? <laughs> I, I don't understand. Did you not get, Dave, from this movie, Superman loves tidying up? So there's a, there's a good 10-minute section where he just follows Nuclear Man around going, tidying up a bit. Like, yeah, like, what is yeah. the political message as well? Nuclear weapons are bad, and they should yeah. be thrown into a giant net in space. Not sure where they got the giant net from. Like, did Superman <laughs> knit that himself? Like, what, what's that about? It was but like yeah. watching a Green Cross Code film that you have in, like, <laughs> secondary school. Oh, uh, when, when he gets off the, the subway, which is actually Old Wick Tube Station, and goes... The subways, the New York subway system is still the safest form of transport in the world. And you're like, that's that's the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that's that's the worst really line Superman's ever said. <laughs> but it's such a waste. It's such a waste. It, it would be. It almost be better if it didn't have those people in because it would seem like less of a like they've been taken advantage of or something. If they'd re- completely recast mm. it with unknowns, it'd mm, be a yeah. bit like it'd be easier to dismiss. But like it feels like it's going to be one of these films I'm going to watch every ten years, thinking maybe it's not that bad. Can't be, right? It's got Gene Hackman and, and Christopher Reeve in it. Actually, I must be mad. I'll watch it again because I'm I'm wrong about this, and I better like it. And every time I'll watch it and just be like, no. what What were you thinking? What were you I'm never going to watch it again. So. No. Well, I'm done. I've made that mistake too. I've occasionally watched it again and gone, it's not as bad as I remember, and it's always worse. Mm. It's always, I always see something else that annoys me. <laughs> you know, it's bad when the 20 years later, when they remake it and call it Superman Returns, and they set it after what is it, Superman 2, and they ignore Superman 3 and 4. I don't mind Superman Returns, but I, no, do, no. I don't like. I don't like that they've dismissed 3. Yeah. What's yeah. wrong with 3? What's wrong with 3? Nothing. Nothing. Richard Super- Pryor's in 3, for God's sake. He's he is. Awesome. <laughs> he is, and he's really funny. In it. He is. They're really funny. 
Yeah, uh, Superman Returns, I liked. Even though it's a weird, it's a weird sequel because that's one which, you know, again, it's, I guess that's probably sequel come remake in a way. The yeah. idea that what's your plan, Lex Luthor? Same as it was in the first film. Exactly the same plan. <laughs> what? <laughs> have we done this? No, exactly. And it's like they reuse the dialogue and, and you go, I don't know why you're doing it. He just wants, and it's always so, but I, I, I still think it's a funny idea that it's just the idea that what Lex Luthor is trying to make is land to build real estate. Yeah. And he's just bizarre, trying to it? be like, he's just like a, 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 like a landlord, really. That's what he wants. <laughs> but it's that, but, but actually as a supervillain, it's, it makes sense because if you were a gangster, that's what you'd be doing. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's sort of doing it on just an epic scale. I guess that's what it's super villainy. It's like, <laughs> how can we just make, make all this real estate? <laughs> I guess what's unforgivable about Superman four is that there was supposed to be five and six that followed this film, and they got canned because this was so bad. Well, we if they were going to be like we, this. Well, yeah, if they were going to be like this, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we didn't want to see them. But we did need more Superman movies. Mm. You know, we didn't need a 20-year gap between this and the next one. Yeah. You know, we, we could have done with more Superman movies while Christopher Reeve could have made them, you know, yeah. and, and that's the shame of it. Well, I think really. he, like, he'd already kind of said, didn't he? He'd already kind of written himself off of making more after the third one. And this was like a real like let's tempt yeah. him back. He, um, massively, he massively fell out with the with the studio everyone. with well yeah everyone pretty much in the third one mainly because he felt that Richard Pryor was the star and he was kind of sidelined, which is kind of true. But the reason he came, he agreed to come back and do four is because it wasn't the same studio making it. Essentially, they sold the right, rights yeah. to Canon, who were this who owned Elstree Studios at the time. They also offered to make uh, one of his films. So he directed a film yeah, after this. Yeah, he directed another film, yeah. They, so they made that, that much, And it was a massive flop, yeah. A huge flop. Yeah. But yeah, so they got him to come back and they got Margot Kidder back and they got Gene Hackman back. And you're like, this should have been so good. It mm. should have been so good. But Maybe it wasn't. Fair Health for Older Adults understands that healthcare decisions are life-changing decisions. Strategic decisions, shared decisions. FairHealthForOlderAdults.org provides financial and educational information for older adults and caregivers planning for a treatment, procedure, or ongoing condition. Fair Health for Older Adults, healthy decisions for healthy aging. Explore FairHealthOlderAdults.org today. Campaign generously funded by the John A. Hartford Foundation. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com MBO. Terms and conditions apply. What film is has, has a sequel, but it's so perfect, but didn't need it. Most of them, most of them really, I think, probably don't need sequels. So like The Matrix or Jaws or Taken, Taken. yeah, none of these like... Oh yeah, none of those, none of those need sequels. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I've got time for kind of silly sequels often. Often, I guess it's a recent thing, isn't it, that that sequels are now things that often have bigger budgets than the first movie, whereas Mm. I think previously they're always like, we're going to make it, and it's going to have half the budget of the thing we've just made, which I guess is kind of counterintuitive anyway, really. At least it with a similar budget. Yeah, most things probably don't need them. Nothing really springs to mind as one where it's like, 
why would you have done that? There's all those ones that they make 20 years apart, don't they? They did like uh, yeah. Gregory's Two Girls and things. He goes, <laughs> why, why, why have you done that? Yeah. What have you done that for? And there's yeah, bits of it like I quite like, <laughs> like, you know, I didn't mind that train spotting too. But at the same time, there's a bit of me going, oh, what's the point? Oh, yeah, what's there's no point to that. Yeah, you're right. I know yeah. people that really like it, and I feel like it might be a film that I'll come back to in a few years because it's meant to be like, I know people older than me go, yeah, but that's what it's like when you're 50 <laughs> or whatever. You go, all right, well, maybe maybe I'll revisit it. But, you know, it doesn't feel like, yeah, it just feels like those kind of films where a lot of time has passed. Just like, what, really? What's the point? Although yeah. I do want to, you know, I'm sure I'll fall for it every time. I'm sure every time they do it, I'll go, yeah, I want to see where they are now. I want to see what's it's, going on. It's the nostalgia that pulls you in. It's like coming to America too. I'm like, it was an absolute oh. awful. Didn't mind awful it. Didn't mind it. Thought it was all right. You don't oh. like it. Although I liked it partly because it was basically that felt like a greatest hits. Like it's like yeah, yeah, that's exactly this what it guy. was, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a, it, it a bit like a greatest hits and doing a show. It felt almost like you're watching a concert with someone doing the old hits. Yeah, I didn't mind it. You go. I suppose this is all I want, really. <laughs> and and but it does it does make me think that's why they'll do them because I will watch them every time, every time. A sucker for them. But I am, <laughs> even though I'll probably go. I don't. I don't want it. But no. if you've made it, it's like well now I want to see it. Don't I now I want to see it. <laughs> do you know what though? I have absolutely zero interest in seeing another Matrix film. Though I can't imagine I'll watch it. There you go. I don't think I'd bother. The first Matrix film. <laughs> Yeah, and it is in hindsight. That's true, isn't it? The second one I remember liking, but then it being like, no, <laughs> no. Like, it's almost like they did something with the second one, which went, oh, that's an interesting idea. And then the third one, the third one is such an odd movie that it was on, I think, ITV2 or something, and I'd never seen it since it came out. And I was watching this film, I think, for about 15 or 20 minutes, and I didn't know what film it was. Do you know when you're trying to guess? Yeah. And you go, you go, what is this? Well, it must be something big because it's obviously cost shit loads of money. There's, there's loads of money. In it. So, and I was watching it going, I have no idea what it is. And that's because Keanu Reeves, you go, oh yeah, I forget. He's barely in this film. He's like in at the start and at the end. Yeah. And you're watching it. I was just watching it. Couldn't even work out what it was. Like, what on earth is this? What a weird film. Just again, where they just start making really odd choices by the third one. Oh yeah, really. It's the, it's the worst one. But again, it's very much like I'm glad I never have to see it. But those films kind of spoil the. Like I, I can't really imagine watching the first one again, and that's that's mm. a bad one because it does make me think. I don't think I could be bothered to watch the Matrix again because I just always imagine. Oh, and then there's that one and that one there. Whereas I'm sure I could just watch the first one and enjoy it, but it puts yeah. me off. It, I have. It, it's like um, it's it, it just means I never have to think about them anymore. They're just like they've gone. Yeah, right. That's off. fine. I've written them off, <laughs> and a new one as well. It's like a fourth one. You're like, oh, come off! Uh, nobody needs that. No one, no one needs it. Nobody needs it. <laughs> yeah, I'm still going to see it. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sure a lot of people. I don't think I will. I just don't Ooh. care. I think. I well, just don't like everything. I hope it's good. People don't plan to make bad films, do they? It just happens. I wish it well. <laughs> I hope it's all right. <laughs> I don't. I don't really want to see it. I mean, that'll be it when it. It'll be like. I have no interest, and then someone will say, it's good, you know. It's like, oh, maybe I will see it. What is your 
dream sequel, that film you always wish had a sequel, got a sequel? This is a tough one. I was really struggled with this. And the one that I thought of was The Italian Job. And that's just one that I really Can we just make so sure much. we're talking about the Michael Caine one and not the Mark Wahlberg we one? We are. I've never seen the Mark Wahlberg one. Although Good. I did read something recently that made me think, oh, maybe. What, what did you read? I read that it's it was meant to have been a kind of more of a sequel to the first one originally. And, and I think also where Eagles Dare, because they have the same writer. And that was a, there was a, that someone initially wrote a screenplay of it, which made it both a sequel to The Italian Job and a sequel to Where Eagles Dare. That makes it sound a hundred times more interesting than Yeah, and I was like, is. no. <laughs> but then it, then it points out, that's not what they made. You know, okay, I'm out again, I'm out again. Suddenly I was like, oh, really? Yeah, I would have watched that. It's a sequel to two films. Wow. Well, I think it's all meant to be. I think the idea was it was meant to be. It's the same writer. I think it's Troy Kennedy Martin wrote both of them. And I think the idea, which might be a thing that's that's worth looking into, was I think someone was trying to make a kind of almost shared universe thing where it's all about the gold is the same gold just oh. 20 years later. And it's this sort of gold that's being shipped around different... Wow different that's, that's mafia cool. and uh, and Nazis and whatever, and who has control of this bullion. And so I was like, oh, that sounds great. And then yeah, I went, and suddenly great. I was all, yeah, that's suddenly great. for about, for half a minute, I was all in on, oh man, I can't believe I haven't seen it. Oh, oh, that's not what they did. All right, forget it. No, I'm out again. I'm out. <laughs> Have you seen Hobbs and Shaw? No, no, it's a bit. It's a bit, because obviously Statham's in the, the remake of the Italian job. And there's a bit when they're in a garage and he points to one of the old minis or whatever. And he's like, oh, I did a job in Italy once. And everyone was like, oh, was he in? Is he the same guy? Same guy? <laughs> so now everyone's got this theory that Hobbs and Shaw is the same character that's in the Italian job. If he's the same character in the Italian job, but that's the same goal that's from the Italian job and from when Eagle's there, we've got a universe building. That means it's connected to the Fast and Furious franchise. Well, I never got into Fast and Furious. I've only ever seen the first one. And again, like I've dismissed all the others. I know people love them, but the first one I remember seeing on the recommendation of someone and going, it's awful. The first one was about guys who nick cars. Yeah. And now now it seems to be about guys who are flying cars in space. Yep. And you go, what, what's happened <laughs> yeah. in between? You're not far off. <laughs> in the first film, they stole DVD players. Yeah. Oof, the, that's... the first one is Point Break, but cars instead of surfboards, yeah. essentially. And but it wasn't, wasn't it am I wrong about this? Wasn't oh. Jason Statham character in Fast and the Furious. Have I mixed yeah. two things up? Wasn't no, he also no. meant to be the guy from Collateral? Is that no. right? No, the Collateral guy is meant to be the guy from Transporter. Okay, that's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. But if we can if we can put all these films together. <laughs> There's a Jason Statham shared universe. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, could we get Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels in there too? <laughs> yes, yeah, <snatch>. Turkish. <laughs> The Italian job, yeah. There's not Michael Caine Italian job. Um, yeah, the ending track. of that was because uh, I think that was again something I watched as a kid, and I remember watching it on like a bank holiday or something, as it still is on at bank holidays. I remember it being an ad break and running through when I was a little kid to tell my mum in the kitchen that there's a movie on called The Italian Job and it's great, and then running <laughs> back to watch it, mum. There's a film on TV. It's called The Italian Job. It's got Michael Caine, and she was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah I've seen it. I don't know. It's like. Good, yeah, just going to say, we've got to get back to the things. It's just great. Being, and, and I think that was one of those uh, 
maybe one of the first examples I think of of a film that ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah. And then also, the older I got, the more I was like, well, of course that's the ending, because it's fun, isn't it? It's supposed to end on a cliffhanger. It's literally a cliffhanger. They're hanging over a cliff. He says, Dara, I've, I've had an idea. And he never gets the idea. But later on, apparently there always was, they always were yeah. going to do, make a They'd sequel. They'd always planned a sequel, yeah. It'd be sort of perfect without it. And then you sort of, now, then I just think, well, God, actually, if they'd made it in in that period with the same kind of time, because nothing really has that same tone. And it's always something I think about, like, it's sort of almost my perfect tone of a film where it's kind of serious. It's comic. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny. And the threat still, oh, they're going to get killed if they get caught. But, yeah, I don't know. I think few things really match that tone. I guess something like Where Eagles Dare is a good example. It's that same kind of... And it's very kind of... does feel British, and it does have these bits in it which are just... They're almost like like comedy sketches bits of it. Mm, the the yeah. bit where he's trying to get his car back is, I think, is like one of the funniest things where he's trying to be... It's Michael Caine is like a cockney crook who's trying to pretend to be this aristocracy to talk to this guy who's also pretending to be posh, who's working <laughs> yeah. in a garage. And it's like neither of them, like Michael Caine's totally aware of the situation and both of them are pretending to be different people. Yeah. And they're having this conversation about getting a car back. It's kind of, it's really sort of clever bits of sort of status that they're kind of creating in it. It's really funny. And everything with no every scene with Noel Coward in it is is brilliant. Yeah, like he's yeah. so it's so funny. It's just like and I, I, I have really really good memories of this film. I absolutely love the Italian job, and I'll try and watch it at least once every year. Yeah, um, this and Escape to Victory yeah. and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly were films that I I watched with my dad, and they were my dad's films. He, my dad wasn't a massive sort of movie guy, but these were films that we would watch together when I was a kid and I absolutely love it so much. And I, I had a mini cause I love the Italian job. So I I'm six foot six and I had a mini, like it's insane. <laughs> I used to have to unfurl myself out of it. And Dave, Dave, you had minis as well, didn't you? Like, yeah. I just, didn't have that problem. I'm five it. foot five and a half. So. <laughs> Perfect car for it's, me. Just absolutely yeah. love this, this, like and there's so many so many one-liners in it benny hill is in it and yeah. just oh it's it's just beautiful and the lamborghini mura that gets crushed at the start you're like i feel more i feel sadder about that car than the like anything else really <laughs> just like, put that beautiful car getting crushed <laughs> but it's, i it's, love it yeah i try and watch it about once a year it's a real it's like a tea and toast for me it's just like it's real comfort watch yeah, yeah on a Sunday. It's, it's so yeah, it's so kind of funny, and it's also like there are bits of it that uh, it's almost like there's gags going on in the background and things, and there's all the, like it's like all these performances. You totally buy into all these characters that are kind of two dimensional. That they have this, and they and they they're often like feel hurt or something where they're told they've done something wrong, and you can see them all kind of getting the grump and things, and it yeah. all feels that they're all like real. I don't know. I really like it. That sort of weird little gang of hoodlums who are all kind of proper. I guess so, it's kind of Ealing, isn't it? It's that sort of yeah, it like is, something yeah. like Lavender Hill mob or something. Probably just so at the time updated. Well. Yeah, absolutely. It's so clever. Like the thinking behind making the heist work and them not quite getting away with it when you think they have. It's such such a clever film. 
like you know and, and i really love that i really love that in movies where you think oh god that's clever i wish yeah. i thought of that you know like just and i, I kind of like movies where the the scoundrel villains get kind of win you know like you yeah. know, i kind of like it where like the the people that are doing something naughty get away with it <laughs> that's that's yeah. that's it, well, for that's me. it. I, I guess it's that yeah they're gonna have to get away with it or i mean in hindsight you do go i guess they have to get caught right or they can't <laughs> it's almost like would it be i mean i think the audience like them enough that they'd want them to get away with it and yeah, yeah i guess they are villains right and they're would would you sort of go if the ending was just yeah we did it would an audience be a bit? Oh right, okay. So they just they just. Uh... It's a bit like Ocean's Eleven now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I like, guess oh, I, I guess you probably would want them. You just want them to get away with it. I think it's also part of the they had to get around the production code in America a bit, didn't they? Was that still going in 60... 69. Is it sixty eight, sixty nine? This was. Um, yeah, they... could I would have thought by then you could probably get away with it. Yeah. I guess there's a sort of weird morality to it, though, isn't it? Like, uh... That you can't get away with being a villain. Yeah, you have to, I don't know. Some comeuppance for you. That it's just that balancing on the bus. And yeah. The, Hold on, that's, but the I've end of it is, is that you get to have it both ways, I guess. So it's either that you're literally they're in both. They've both yeah. won and lost. Yeah, so yeah. they're kind of you never get to know whether they've pulled it off or not. Your dream sequel? Mm-hmm. Would you have them get the gold back, or would you? Well, apparently the sequel is meant to be that they uh, helicopters uh, have got ropes on the on the van and actually take it back. But then they all think they've done it, but the helicopters are run by the mafia. So then, oh. so then it's gone again, and then they have to get it back again. <laughs> that sounds like it. And you go, yeah, that oh, sounds right. like and a sequel. And you kind of go, you go, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. That they think <laughs> yeah. they're being saved, but they're being saved by the the people that want it in the first place. So you've got That's the mafia it. with it again. So they then have to try and get it off the mafia. So they, they are apparently making a sequel, a TV show sequel to it. Mm. Apparently, oh, yeah. Paramount supposed Plus. to follow on from that from that place. From from what Dave? Sorry, on Paramount Plus is the the. All oh, right. The online mm. uh, service that's going to offer it, but I don't understand how that's going to work because I, are they going to carry on from now? Because obviously it's well, nineteen sixty nine, mm. or are they going to like? I don't understand. Do you know what? If they did it as a period piece mm. and they recast people and they who cast be, really who, well. Yeah. Who would you have as Michael Caine though? Who would play know, that? Well, you'd hope you'd hope there's just someone maybe that you don't know who they are, but you'd just be like, get the person who's that person. Yeah. <laughs> to do it. That's Martin what you name. I don't Martin. know who they are. But there's someone who's like twenty eight or something who's that perfect casting. I mean, it would be a tough thing to oh. to do. But I think you could kind of, like, I feel like there are, like, I always think in Porridge, Harry Grout in Porridge is basically Noel Coward, isn't he? He's Bridger. He's basically the same character, but 10 years later. And so you can kind of update these things and go, well, who would it, who could you get away with this? And someone like that, you kind of think, who would you have now? Like, I don't know, like a Stephen Fry or something as a Bridger or someone like that. That'd be good. It'd be that kind of thing, wouldn't it? And have someone like that running a prison, which is kind of the thing. What it was then, like it's—he's the most unlikely person to be running crime, essentially, in from a prison. Yeah. His, what I love uh, about the Italian job that it's so British, though it's such a British mm. film, and I'm worried about other countries getting their hands on it, like the the remake or whatever the the Italian job 2003 version. And, yeah, well, I wonder it. if if they're doing it. I mean, if they were thinking about doing it as a period piece, it's that you know it always was a Paramount movie, but it's true, a British. True. It's a British 
movie in and and it's partly that i think if you're watching it in the states you're kind of laughing at it because it's british and you're laughing it's poking fun at itself really yeah about how the idea that you know noel coward runs crime in the uk (laughs) and basically has pictures of the queen plastered all over his cell is is sort of you know it's it's kind of poking fun at britishness you know i guess that's kind of as much as it's also that he's kind of michael Caine's kind of cool and getting away with it except he's also not getting away with it and it starts off with him his previous job put him in prison he gets out his first job back is almost certainly going to fail you know it's that kind of like he's not it's that they're kind of crooks but they're not really successful but it's just it's that the jobs they're doing are audacious it's like they're huge it's almost yeah. like I suspect it's more about that, right? That they're they're attracted by the idea of doing impossible jobs rather than doing easy ones. You know? Yeah. And that's so the there, there is it. supposed to be a sequel to the 2003 Italian job called The Brazilian Job, oh. which sounds like a painful waxing to me. And <laughs> yeah. something I think I'd rather have done than watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully that's not going to feature in the TV show. But apparently... From, from, it looks like the TV show will be set in 1969. Yeah, that's how you do it. As far as I can see. Bang, thank God for that. I mean, it seems like plausible. I mean, I mean, if they do it well, good. But, like, you would have to... I don't know. I mean, with all this stuff, I'd be kind of... Uh, I, I can already feel that I'm being quite precious about it. But it sounds like they're kind of a bit, you know... It's just it's just a very difficult tone to do, which has not really been repeated. Mm. It I doesn't possibly... feel like you couldn't do it. I feel like... You know, it'd be a fun thing to try and write, wouldn't it? If you were someone, yeah. If you, you try and match the tone of it, it'd don't be a fun make thing it. To... Don't make it too American. That that's my big worry. Yeah, well, trying, I don't know if it, I was it trying doesn't... to get it. I was trying to say that earlier, Rich, but I was trying to say it in a nicer way. No, well, but... I, yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It needs to be British, it, otherwise it won't work. But I think you can <laughs> do that more now, right? Because I, I mean, it's if they're doing that, it'd be pointless not to try and match the tone. Yeah. And it's more like I don't feel that things have to be uh american again they don't have to it doesn't feel that that needs to happen anymore and tv feels more international mm. you are so right. i feel you could probably get away with i like how you're trying to calm stuff. me and rich down well <laughs> i am also a bit I'm, I'm slightly worried like it would be like because it feels like if they messed that up they wouldn't have another go so it's no. like do it do it right do it right have a think about it have a think about it before you start doing it yeah perfect yeah you need to have a like he says it's like a I've had an idea. You need to have an idea before you go <laughs> into it. And those were Nathaniel Metcalf's unequal sequels. Very nearly called him Nathaniel Rateliff, who's a, a musician instead. But brilliant. I mean, brilliant choices. I really enjoyed it. He, he definitely agrees with you in terms of movie taste, right, Dave? So you know, Yeah. Back to the Future 2, Desperado, right up your street. And then Superman 4, which would be close to one of my picks for worst sequel to. And, or even, definitely yeah. most disappointing sequel. You know, I think yeah. that would definitely fit in for me. And then Italian Job. As soon as you told me Italian Job was his pick for dream sequel, I was like, of course it is. Of course it is. That's a great shout. Such a, a good, good shout. shout. Such a good shout. Yeah, if you, if you liked what you heard today with Nathaniel check out his podcast which is on Fubar Radio and it's called The Fan Club with and he does it with Nick Helm who's another comedian yeah they're really uh, well they love films so that's why 
I love and some of the report there with the guests are really funny uh, I'd recommend the episode with Ramashranga Nathan I listened to that one yesterday and that's really good really funny thank you Nathaniel for coming on thank you it's always nice when see people say yes <laughs> it's always nice when people say yes and come on our podcast yeah thank you very much thank you <laughs> but like you said he would do it anyway even if we weren't recording the podcast we'd be talking about movies anyway that's yeah. our kind of guest absolutely absolutely because we'd be doing it too we'd be talking about movies as well if we weren't yeah. even if we weren't recording and if you want to hear more of us or since this is the first show you've tuned into then there's a whole series worth of back catalogue to that you can pick up on it gives it a binge listen uh, mm-hmm. if you're listening to us on iTunes or on Google Podcasts or on Spotify please make sure you give us a rating a thumbs up a little heart you know subscribe because that all helps us in our quest to break into the top 100 of the film and tv charts hashtag top 100 hashtag top hundreds <laughs> and you can also help with that by following us on twitter or yes. on instagram where we are yes. at unequal sequel and if you've got any suggestions for the show if you want to come on if you think oh, i like the sound of this show then you know give us a give us, drop us an email um unequal sequel at hotmail.co.uk no dot com <laughs> I was so proud of you for a minute because oh. you were doing it all you were doing Twitter you are doing the, you know the promoting I was like I'm not going to have to say anything here he's nailing it all and then he uh, falls at the front oh. it's unequalsequel at hotmail.com so please get in contact so close so, so close, close. <sighs> now I know how they must have felt after they put Superman 4 out they got just, you know, so, so close. close. <laughs> anyway, on to next week, where it will be yes. our season finale. Season finale next week. I'm so excited. Season finale next week. See you there. Bye. Bye. Bye.